Hey everyone, it's Robert here. Each week, our podcast is brought to you by Skeleton Optics. You can visit them at SkeletonOptics.com, a veteran-owned company that makes Italian handcrafted frames with Carl Zeiss lenses. By using the code Mentors the Number Four MIL, you'll receive an automatic 10% discount on all your merchandise. We'll apply that to a veteran-supporting nonprofit or one that supports the children of the fallen. If you like what we do each week and you want to help us to help each one of you grow professionally and personally, please go to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com backslash mentors the number four M-I-L and pick a tier. There's some really cool stuff out there for each tier, including merchandise, merchandise discounts, and a whole lot of free stuff, including the option to possibly even get on here and join us on one of these podcasts as a guest host. Please go out there again to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash mentors, the number four M-I-O. And now it's time to sit back and relax and enjoy another Mentors for Military podcast. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. So on this episode... We've got Scott Johnson, Eric Martin, Kat Kalin, and myself, Robert Gowan, and we're going to be talking about brain training like strength training. The cool thing about this is a lot of people don't realize how well the body has to function in unison together, and there are so many different components that impact how we how we act or you know how we think or even how we grow in terms of a growth mindset. And I know a lot of the people in the military, Eric, end up going down the path of working on exercise and stuff like that, but they don't realize how important exercise is in itself just to extending your brain power. Yeah, it's been a big deal for me uh, over the last few years, especially because that was like one of my, I mean, go-tos. And it's funny, my wife talks to me a lot about how I'm quote unquote addicted to being in the gym, but it really has become like my Zen spot or like my ability to kind of constructively deal with either stress or just you know pain management whether it be on the uh, mental aspect or even the uh, physical aspect and one of the great things about it is is like and, and people sometimes forget about it is like the endorphins that you know the physical fitness realm does bring to your body and brings to your mind and then on top of that it kind of allows that like middle capacity to start building and growing not only the synapses for your uh, muscular and you know your endurance and your you know the vo2 max and all that fun uh, physical aspect of everything that goes with physical physical fitness but it also brings about that you know that middle awareness and allows you to start getting your blood pumping to start thinking about things that you've got to do and that's why it's very important for us to take care of our bodies as much as it is to, you know, take care of our minds as well too. And they kind of, the two go hand in hand uh, more often than people realize. You know, so many of us end up going to the military and working out early in the mornings. And I know guys who go after work and work out to, to relieve the stress of the day. But for me, I think it's, you hit it right on the, the nail on the head. It's about opening the mind up and the body up and waking yourself up to the day and really kind of kickstarting it. And even though as much as I used to hate, you know, waking up in the morning, we all do and doing PT, you know, and because it's usually these structured exercises, you got to run two miles, five miles, 10 miles in a, you know, rubber band formation or whatever the case may be. But 
being conditioned in that way where you'd wake up every day and you did some kind of physical exercise, you always felt good. You didn't feel sluggish anymore. You felt like you were energized, ready to do some work and get things done. Whereas I felt like if I started working out in the afternoons after I got out of the military, I just didn't have that energy. I'd be more likely to skip the gym or do exercising because I'm just wore out from the day's mental exhaustion. Yeah. And that, I mean, it's kind of funny too. And I'm trying not to go too far off the uh, subject here, but you know, I think about how when I first came in the military, it was all, you know, push up, sit ups and run. And that's what we did. And then we realized, you know, Hey, you know, not, not that any of those things are wrong, but you've got to mix it up a bit. I mean, push-ups basically just make you better at push-ups and sit-ups. Yeah, they work your core, but I mean, it's, they're not hitting all of your core that they can hit. And obviously running on pavement isn't exactly the wisest thing to do all the time. And I mean, th there's so much else that we have to do on the battlefield. And it was funny, you know, going into, um, special forces, the physical training was a lot more diverse and based on the type of mission that we were doing. And I was talking with the uh, new colonel we just got in about some of this, about how the army has evolved and the military in general has evolved. Not, I know that some people's flavor is CrossFit and some people's flavor are doing like the hits and stuff. And I, I think that there's good in all of those things, but it's kind of cool as I'm going through this master fitness course, you know, when I came to cadet command to help uh, train, I was like, what in the world is PRT? Like, I was like, and I mean, it, it was kind of funny and it's, it's very, very novice in its basis and its mindset, but I get like, you know, it's kind of helping those people that don't normally get off the couch and do something. And now they're coming into the military and they're like, holy cow, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do. And so PRT became a base uh, for base knowledge for people, as opposed to just the push up, sit ups and run type of mentality. But as we, uh, as you started talking about like that afternoon, because I, I, I prefer doing two a days and, and typically I'll, I flip flop between sometimes in the mornings, I'll do my cardio and, you know, core stuff. And then sometimes in the afternoon, uh, that's when I hit the cardio as much as I hate cardio. Um, but <laughs> you got to do it. I mean, in order to run around on the battlefield, but, um, you know, and, and there's obviously there's different types of weightlifting that I, I love to do powerlifting, but that's not always a great idea as well. I remember jumping rooftops in Sauter city, weighing almost 270 pounds, just my body weight. And then my kit probably had me weighing somewhere around 350 pounds, considering all the, the body armor, the, the ammo, the, the amount of uh, gear that I was carrying. And so, you know, as I get older, I'm like, man, I've really got to condition myself, uh, or as I call it more vintage, uh, to be ready for those things. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed for myself is creating those habits, uh, creates those types of traditions in my lifestyle as well, too. Although sometimes, you know, based on stressors that are in your life might take away from some of those, uh, things like you're saying, getting sluggish in the afternoon and not really wanting to hit the gym after you have had a hard day at work or, you know, if something's pressing with your family, I mean, that's all these different things getting away and then, you know running around for carpool that that's another thing and then you got to fix meals on top of that for the kids it, it adds up i have a i have a question for you eric because you so do you the, with the prt program do you think that that was sufficient enough for being in the military 
Oh, like I, I said, and yeah. right. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what my and I'm I'm really glad, like you said, the military has evolved to where it is now with the PT tests. From I don't know what the actual um, solid plan is that they're they're implementing for the PT test now, but from what I've seen, like the the pull ups and uh, body carry and all that, like I, I don't know specifically, but. With the PRT, like, because I was um, in recruiting and retention, and we were following that program. And from what I've seen with new recruits coming in, they're a lot weaker. I mean, they're smart because, you know, technology age, you're extremely smart, but they're a lot weaker and, like, their social skills are a little off as well. But don't you think that, I mean, I think we're learning now, but that program should have been implemented far before even being allowed into the military. Cause it's not effective when you're out on the battlefield and some, something goes down. No. And I agree. And, and this was something that I was talking about with like my Sergeant major and my Colonel is yeah, the PRT program was nice to get people that are basically recruits um, as they're coming into the military, because you're right. And, and we saw this even just this last summer with like a lot of the, uh, the basic camp cadets, most of them hadn't ever spent more than, you know, maybe five to eight hours at in one day outside. And then for them to have to spend, you know, three to five days out in the field was like astronomical for some of these kids. And, and, and some of them rightfully so, because, you know, you're living in like the inner, inner cities of like, you know, Chicago or New York City. They're not going to have that ability. But uh, coming to towards the unit level for PRT was it was almost not disaster. I don't want to say disastrous, but it was it wasn't very helpful for those guys and gals that, you know, perform above that level of uh, fitness and they're not getting anything. So they would in turn have to go. Um, to, you know, the gym or something or, or do something else in order to get and maintain the level of fitness that they were used to or wanted to be challenged for. And that's, again, I, I come back to the whole, you know, soft thing. I mean, Ranger Regiment, you know, uh, all the special operations forces, we, we are fortunate in the fact that we kind of have big boy and big girl rules where, you know, we have people that want to stay on top of that. And that isn't always the case. In well, and that want to educate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like my husband, for example, he went and reclassed to MI, him being in regiment. And a lot of some of the guys that were there, um, he told them, he's like, hey, you guys are going to ranger school after this is complete. What they're teaching you here now, you will not succeed in ranger school. You will not succeed in regiment if you're just doing the bare minimum of what yeah. the cadre members here. And sh sure enough, when they got back to regiment and he saw some of these guys at the PX, they hadn't passed. And they were, and they yep. completely agreed. They're like, you're right. We were too weak to complete what they, the standard for regiment. But like you said, once you're in, I think that's where like I have, I find frustration because when I first got integrated into special operations, I mean, I've always felt that I was like above par as far as being athletic. I mean, that's how I was raised. Mm -hmm. That's how <clears throat> I was in like high school sports and all that stuff. But I didn't know anything about like what it took physically and mentally to perform within special operations. And I learned all that on the fly, which yeah. <laughs> yeah. may be the wrong answer, but um, I'll, like the, the knowledge that I learned in that one year is, it is paramount compared to anything else that I had in the 10 years that I was in the service. And uh, I, I think it's like, it's, it show it like, it's such a disadvantage to people in the conventional side because I mean, we want the whole army to be working at this capacity, but we're not teaching them. No, you know, we are. And I have no, a question for you too. Right. Go ahead. 
Well, it, as far as the, because you know they do a lot of resiliency training, and, and Scott, you can you can pipe in with this as well um, on the EOD side. I know, like the first time that I ever got resiliency training, as far as being able to perform mentally on the battlefield, is when when I entered special operations. And now, are they as new recruits are coming in, especially with the ROTC side, are they teaching them like how to be resilient and how to get your brain and your mind right when you're under pressure or in I, the I shit? I think that that's honestly, I think that that's still a work in progress, and I I think that. Unfortunately, our military tends to parallel a lot of societal norms with regards to issues of entitlement, to issues of mental toughness and or maturity. Um, I like that we have, we, because I've seen a lot of people discuss, you know, wall-to-wall counseling was how it worked and it, it just, this was how it worked for me. And, and I get that that works for some people, but here's the problem. You've got people that abuse that because they think that that's the only way to do some sort of discipline. And then in turn, you're going to end up with guys and girls that are like, you know, afraid. Don't know. Yeah, exactly. That all, you're basically just creating an abusive environment. And so I think that the resiliency train, like we do have resiliency training, but I don't know that they're being taught exactly how to apply it just yet. And that's one of those ever evolving matters. I think that the army, I would say the conventional side of the army is catching up on because that was one of the things that obviously came up real quick about 10 years ago. And the soft realm was like, you know, holy cow, we got a bunch of guys that are great warriors and girls that are great warriors. And they, you know, they know what to do on the battlefield. But, you know, we were running in and this was military wide. We were running in people, you know, either transitioning, coming back and or, uh, you know, there was a space in time that, you know, us at 10th group, we we switched off of combat operations to a degree, you know, minus what was going on in Afghanistan to we were doing more of like J sets and uh Oh, what was the other ones like neos um and then dealing with like the narcotics trafficking that happens across africa and even s- some of the places in the former soviet bloc countries and and so to go from being in a kinetic environment to a non-kinetic environment was a huge transition in its own right because now and i, I speak for myself personally you know those demons started catching up to me with regards to like survivor guilt or you know things that we had seen and you know things that we just couldn't help at times and then for other people you know maybe they were still able to you know not have to worry about that they were you know kind of keep keeping that bottled down but i it's it's starting to become a better environment for all of us to either find those outlets to go talk to a therapist if they need to or you know seek other avenues like fitness to get those things going yeah and i that's what i was going to ask you scott if they do in the uk do they have any resiliency training for the troops over there or are they like what do you guys have i mean i've i've been out 14 years now kat so i'm the older school generation, I guess. You're vintage as well. Vintage, yeah. <laughs> and I think Eric's probably a similar era to me. And I joined up in 96 and left in 2004. And I th- when you similar era, Eric, and you've been in 20 years now. so Yeah, I'm coming up yeah. on 20. So I think when when I was in, there was, there was nothing. Resilience almost wasn't a word that was used you know and yeah. there was certainly no training involved with it and it was the older school generation where you know if, if somebody was 
showing any signs of struggling, then they would just told them man up and get on with it, you know, and what's the matter with you? And just, just, just get on with it or get out. And, and that was kind of it. That was the only options for it. And when Afghanistan um, kicked off and then Iraq straight afterwards, and, you know, there was um, pretty much 10 years worth of very confrontational um, periods, to, to put it nicely, people weren't equipped to deal with that, you know, and everything had to be learned on the hoof. And I think there was a, a big period probably 2003 to maybe 2010 that people weren't getting any support whatsoever and then resilience training and things started to come in and people started to get some help and it's a little bit too little too late in some instances you know and we we're suffering a lot of um, suicides at the minute in the UK, veteran suicides, and the era where those guys are from are probably in that 2003-2010 band. And a lot of them got out and went on to do private security type work. So trying to mask what you think is a solution or is actually the problem. You know, and, and you're coming from, well, I'm doing this now in a military sense, but I can go and do something similar, but I'm not in the military and the bullshit part that comes with that but I'm still doing something that I'm familiar with and comfortable with. And guys were going off and doing Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa, and whatever it may be. And they're not really getting any better with anything. You know, you're in the same environment, the same problems, the same stresses day in, day out. Um, and and they're really struggling now, you know. And we've, we've, we've had, uh, in the UK, five guys killed themselves in the last week. Um, it's terrible. Which, you know, it's not on the level of you guys out in the US, but when you look at demographically our numbers compared to your numbers, you know... It's still one too many. Yeah, absolutely. Of course it is. Absolutely. But the help still isn't there. Once you're outside of the military in the UK, there's there's still very little. There's, There's a lot of charities, you know, and they're trying to pick up the pieces and do what they can. And the government has put some money into specific charities and funded them. As with any organization, as you get bigger and bigger, you know, and, and we could flip it back into a business model, as you get bigger and bigger, you can't help everybody. So you've mm-hmm. got to put a selection criteria in place. And people don't tick boxes. And there's people falling through the gaps because they don't tick boxes in certain organizations. They're not getting signposted to the right organizations where they might tick the boxes and be able to get help. And people just fall through the gaps, you know. and. For for me, a big part of that is is the, the MOD and the military's reluctance to accept that there was a problem, um, or to be able to see that there was a problem and not put anything in place, you know, and try and get guys to help at the the root cause level rather than just let it fester and let it manifest and change and grow over a period of time and then end up in the worst possible place, you know. Well, and I think so. When I was in Iraq, I. Uh... I went and saw a psychiatrist or psychologist like maybe two weeks before I redeployed. And I remember him telling me, um, he's like, Hey, you know, the next 90 days are going to be the worst. And I don't know if this is scientific. I actually, I'll probably learn it later on through my train or my schooling, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know a time frame of manifestation of symptoms. Right. So 
I rem- and I took that to heart. I'm like, okay, so within the next 90 days or at the 90 day mark, because I remember my first start being like, okay, you know, telling squad leaders and stuff, make sure you're checking on your troops, like their home life and all that stuff at the 90 day mark, because that's when like st- stuff starts to go like bonkers, right? So I don't know if that is true or not. Personally, especially as me going in to be a counselor, and I'll learn this probably later and be able to come back to you about it, but if we could tell troops or this you're going to be seeing a brunt of changes psychologically and their families as well because a lot of times when we're going through these changes or our brains are starting to screw us we don't know that it's going on like you said you're you're, these guys are going from the service and then they're walking into these contracting jobs because they're trying to to get into an environment that's comfortable and what they're familiar with and because as humans we do not adjust I don't think we adjust very well. I mean, we're seeing it as people transition out of the military that they're homeless and they're and they're coming up with all of these mental disorders or they're killing themselves because they don't know how to cope. And a lot of it too is just from their time spent in the service, your brain has changed. Your brain is like like Eric was talking earlier about the synapses. Like you have focused so much on creating these synapses of being uh, supposedly resilient to or being a warfighter. And you're not changing that mindset when you're leaving the service. But going back to my point, I think that coming out of the military, if we, on the transition side, and I don't know, Robert, if you've heard this from other guests or if anyone listening can can pipe in or, or message uh, the mentors page on Instagram or Facebook, if you know coming out of the service, do they inform you or, or educate you on things that may be happening? Or is it just a quick, like, Hey, make sure you check in with your mental health provider if you're starting to feel bad. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's where I that's where I think it's important is where and, and do units are they and I've asked my husband this on, on guys leaving regiment. I'm like, do they keep tabs on you? Like do they will they check in on you to see how you're doing once you leave the service? He's like, No, absolutely not. Like they don't you are a number. They are filling a place. If you are leaving, then you just the mission first, right? And of course that's how it's supposed to be. But where where are we accountable of taking care of our people? I, th- I think there's there's a bigger picture here uh, and something that is almost unspoken, but it, it's got to be lingering there in the background. Because if if you were to, as as an organisation, the military, if they were to see and go on record and say, okay, we we're gonna put a program in place to check up on people after one month, six months. 12 months, two years, 10 years, you're admitting that there's a problem. And that's something that certainly isn't being done in the UK. And I don't think it's being done in the US because if they admit that there's a problem, then they open themselves up then to all the cases that are out there. And yeah, good point. Well, they, they put it on the service member's shoulders to go and have and take accountability for themselves, which I, I don't think is the right answer. Well, I think in this case, ahead, it's, Robert. you know, I know there's about accountability and that's kind of what we're trying to get to. And, and in some ways, I think I would agree partly with you, Scott, that I think you're trying to say that there has to be a sense of accountability on both parts, but especially with the individual. And in that regard, what I think you would ask for, Kat, is are the tools there? Are they given the tools necessary to be able to give them a plan or a tool or an approach or something thereafter? And maybe there is a follow up or maybe there is a, you know, that's where there's a lot of organizations out here that are doing buddy checks and trying to figure out ways in order to to build that camaraderie to make sure they're getting what they need. 
but I, I think, too, what was interesting out of a podcast I listened to recently, which is from the Warrior You podcast that Bram Conley does, on episode 15, they talked about um, the cognitive basis of resilience and how the brain can be rewired and how you can even reach into the subconscious in a lot of ways in order to reprogram the brain a little bit like you were talking about, Kat, um, to be able to modify those things or at least to help them with their coping skills. So you know how you said we were talking about um, muscle memory is like I can me for instance like I was uh, in track and field and I played soccer when I was younger and getting back to like a running shape is is fairly easy for me luckily I I can't say when I get older if it's gonna be easier but the same like this is what one of the the things that I think that the military should kind of push towards is that you're training your conditioning these men and women on all these different aspects of physical fitness. So how to move your body appropriately, how to carry this weight, how to move uh, these different movements on the battlefield. But wouldn't it be smart, and if I was the ruler of the world, but wouldn't it be smart to train our bodies as well or train our brain as we as on the same path as we train our body so i know that they have these master resiliency trainers that can come in and look after their soldiers but if you're teaching these skills to newly recruited service members wouldn't you think that their i would say like their ability to bounce back after tragedy or transition would be a lot more Actually, there has been some, yeah, there has been some research done by some uh, military forces on that very subject about um, utilizing things such as diet, exercise, and those types of things to um, to be able to help them recover with traumatic brain injury or at least with post traumatic stress and um, the the you know hyper vigilant state that they're in when they're in a combat situation and actually be able to tone it down and a lot of other countries have have gone a little bit i think further ahead in regard on that um, than maybe america but i think too what we're talking about is in terms of trying to maybe we need to give some tips to individuals during this podcast of some things that they can do we talked about how important it is to exercise I think too a lot of people forget that the brain consumes an immense amount of energy during you know over the rest of the body. So in order to do that, we got to transfer that energy from foods or you know to neurons, and uh, you got to make sure that you're you're maintaining the proper balance. Uh, several dietary components have been identified as having effects on cognitive cognitive abilities. And so if you're uh, not taking in, as an example, enough omega-3 fatty acid supplementation or something like that, you're going to start seeing deficits that happen in cognitive learning and your ability then to adjust and do the things that we're talking about. Whereas in the same token, you start taking in things like high contents of trans and saturated fats, those will have the negative effects like junk food, uh, which are high contents of saturated fat and sucrose, have shown a decline in cognitive performance and reduced um, levels of plasticity over three weeks or dietary treatment. So they've done all these different studies and said, hey, listen, you know, you've got to make sure that you're if you want to improve your brain and your learning capabilities You've got to be able to focus not just on your brain, but you've got to focus on the rest of your body, like we're talking about exercise and eating right and those types of things. And that's and that's a great point because I think a lot of times too, and I and I probably from my own personal experience have gone in thinking that I have um, 
mental, like, uh, resistant to any sort of treatment for depression or anxiety. And like, I've been through all of these different treatments and thinking that, or going to a doctor and them saying like, okay, you need to be on this anti-anxiety, this antidepressant, this, 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 when ultimately possibly the biggest thing is that I need to change my diet because I may not be seeing what the, the positive aspects of like, I'm not seeing any help with this treatment at all, or this, this antidepressant or this anti-anxiety, but the smallest, most effective thing that you can do is just change your diet, which is really, I think people should really listen to instead of pumping your body full of chemicals that they don't need in the first well, place. Well, I mean, if you, it goes back to, if you look at the, the ingredients on there and it's longer than a couple lines there, then that's already a problem. Or if you can't, if you can't even, was it more than five? Yeah. And, and if you can't 10, even say half the words on there, that's not good. But it sounds so cool. Yeah. But it's so true though, exactly what you're talking about that, um, some of the things that they talked about in a, in a recent article in the National Institute of Health called Brain Foods, the effect of nutrients on brain function that came out in 2008, actually, it, it covered about that very same topic and about how, um, just changing the diet they found started helping people with depression for sure, but they also started seeing people who were diagnosed as being uh, schizophrenic actually started seeing positive results as well by changing and maintaining proper diet. One of the biggest things too, and, I, and I'm trying to get back onto it because I've done a horrible job in over the last few weeks because I was working reverse cycle uh, while I was over uh, at the training center there at Knox and then uh, trying to balance that and then almost working sometimes 18 to 20 hour days because then I'm dealing with some of the other programs with regards to like, you know, their ammunition once or whatever. And so I was eating junk. I mean, like all I could grab was like, you know, some canned chicken, you know, I might be able to grab a bag of veggies out of like the uh, commissary, but I, I joke about it or whatever, but I mean, I was like, I was eating junk food here and there as I could, or, you know, popping energy drinks. So that way I would stay awake. And I mean, and I, and I'm guilty of that, but the easiest way to stay fit is to eat right. I mean, and, and a lot of times they say like, ah, go ahead and, yeah, and sleep. Yeah. Yeah. They talk yeah. about your, what you eat and, and sleeping is much better in some cases than, or more important than the exercise aspect of it. Yep. And I think it was like my wife told me or some one of my friends had told me, you know, abs are uh, made in the kitchen and meaning like based on like what you eat is has more of an effect than even just like the uh, physical fitness that you're conducting. And, and I and I can attest to that because, I mean, I've never had six pack abs or whatever. I mean, I can have I have a pretty good core, but I, I mean, it really the fitness level really starts to kick in once I start eating right. And I mean, and there are all kinds of different fad diets, you know, I, I've he- heard a lot about like the keto diet and then obviously you got the Atkins, paleo and all. Yeah. Paleo. Yeah. 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 I really feel like the Atkins was like the worst idea ever, but I mean, yeah, I, uh, I mean, it worked for the guy until he had a heart attack or whatever, but <laughs> yeah, that wasn't too good. I mean, uh, <laughs> the scary thing but, is that people still follow it. The, we got the Burger King mindset of like, we want it our way right away and we want it now. And and it doesn't come that way. It really comes through hard work and, you know, just doing the right thing. But more, even more than that is you have to have a mind over matter mindset. And, you know, if it doesn't, ma- if you don't mind, it doesn't matter. And, you know, and that even comes in with food. And it's, I think it's hard to see because I know that like America has one of the highest obesity rates and, 
you, you look around and I'm like, how, how are we that bad off with stuff? But I mean, we've, we've got like those golden corrals. We've got all these like different buffets that people can go to. And I'm just like, holy cow. Like, I, I mean, I've been to Africa. I don't know how many times, you know, for any of those people probably to have at least just a, a serving of that type of food would be like heaven for them. But it's, a, it's unfortunate to see like, you know, how people kind of abuse the freedoms that we have here with regards to like what kind of food they can buy. And it really does make a difference on the mindset. It starts in your youth too. I mean, they're already taking recess and uh, what PE. I mean, when I remember when I was a kid, I was doing recess three times a day, but now these kids are so worried about academics and technology that that's where their strengths as far as like academic is going, but they're not like they're a lot weaker. Their muscle mass is a lot smaller, a lot smaller. They can't do the, the basic needs that we need for our military. And it's, it's unfortunate. And a lot of it too, if you think about the social skills or the, the way that we communicate to one another, they, they all stem from those academic programs from when we were kids that we're not getting anymore. Here's the interesting thing. You know, when you start studying things like epigenetics and how the DNA and the body affects it, I mean, you think back to the very early days, we were hunter gatherers or whatever the case may be. And so it started off where we had scarce resources and our body really over time has been the same way. We're supposed to have, or our body thinks it's scarce. So when you start feeding it, it's going to start storing it to make sure that, you know, it's not, you're not going to starve it later on. And that's of course, a lot of reasons why, uh, many people that are in the fitness community will say you need to eat smaller portions throughout the day so that your body starts training itself or realizing that you're not trying to store it uh, for a, a rainy day type of thing. Uh, but it's more about, you know, you're going to be feeding it as the body needs it throughout the day. Well, the cool thing about like epigenetics or study of DNA is unfortunately whatever your ancestors did, and maybe it's only a couple generations back, by the way, two or three generations could have a lot of effect as to how you are today. So however they were, however they acted, however they felt, has a lot to do with how your DNA is expressed and turned on and uh, causes certain effects. So you think about the type of children that we're raising today and where they're not, to your point, Cap, being quite, uh, quite as athletic. They're more focused on playing with the iPad or iPhone or uh, you know, uh, more electronics and everything else, then there is a DNA coding that's going to be occurring that can actually not be seen maybe even till generations later where you may see even further effects of what we're seeing today. As scary as that may sound. The other thing that we do have going for us is the um, the technology that we've advanced our our fitness as far as like some of the types of foods, though, that we uh, we do consume at the same time, because, I mean, I would say that a lot of our, you know, student athletes at this point in time are head and shoulders above like what we were as far as like the types of things that they need to help themselves recover from, you know, injuries or even just recovering from uh, a previous night's workout. You know, we, we know that it's not just, you know, eat some you know, food and drink some water. It's eat certain types of food will help you. And then, you know, maintaining hydration and then, oh, maybe it's a good idea to take an ice bath or, you know, or, you know, you need to do these certain types of stretches. And, and then, you know, we've got, I mean, 
I hate to go down the supplement route, but I mean, we do have the types of supplements that can help, you know, help us recover quick. I mean, you know, you've got stuff like out there, like vitamin A and D that you can take to help um, for some of your bone density issues. And then, um, you know, I mean, the daily vitamins, even if, if you aren't getting, or if you're not able to get the proper amount of nutrients in the day, you know, those are good for you. But the converse to that is, is if you are actually getting the right amount of nutrients in a day, then those supplements are worthless to you. Right. The shortcuts again, Eric, aren't they? You know, you, you spoke about it earlier. The people are always looking for the, the life hack and the shortcut and supplements theoretically are, are exactly a prime example of that because if you're eating healthily to start with you don't need the supplements because you're getting all your vitamins through your food you know vitamin d is insane just go outside and get some sun and you know you'll naturally get your people have done it for thousands of years and not needed supplements and it comes back around to for me for always trying to get that shortcut again and and how can i in 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 a positive sense how can i get what i need well, I can just take these pills instead of doing whatever it may be because that takes too much time and too much effort to do the right thing. Uh, and it sometimes it's a positive, you know, and sometimes it's a negative. And we, we don't always have time to, to, you know, cook four chicken breasts a day and half a dozen eggs and whatever it may be to, to get the right amount of protein and carbs and vitamins and everything that you need through different vegetables and Cost is a big factor in that these days because to, to eat healthily is extortionately expensive. When you can go to a supermarket and you can go and buy a ready-made pizza for, you know, two pounds in the UK is it, it, insane. When if you want to go and buy fresh vegetables, it'll cost you two pounds for a packet of one vegetables. You know, and if you want to get five a day, as the recommendation is. How can you compare or compete with eating healthily when eating poorly is so inexpensive? And it, it's a massive problem when it comes to the, the breadline, you know, and people just live in just above poverty because they can't eat healthily because it costs so much to do so. So the only means they've got of actually feeding their families is through these junk foods and poor um, nutritional value foods. And, and it's it's just not right for people to be forced down that that stream and and there's so much more that could be done with it and we've lost touch i think as a generation the ability to grow your own vegetables to raise your own food and you know people did it for hundreds and hundreds of years with minimum wage but they'd have vegetables growing in the garden they'd have a couple of chickens providing eggs and and food and we don't do that anymore because everything is quick the movement, the movement is kind of going a little bit more in that direction. I can see a little bit of the pendulum sw- uh, switching between you know things like essential oils, people growing their own gardens and uh, trying to raise their own food and getting chickens and get their own eggs here in America and those types of things. You can see a lot more of that happening, um, <clears throat> especially in the younger generation. I mean, they're starting to take hold of that, and I think that's also pushed things like dye and uh, hormones and those types of things within certain foods but to your point when you start looking for the for many of the products at least that don't have hormones and those types of things you're going to pay additional money for it as if it costs more money for them to use less dye and and, uh, not put dye in your food or anything because that does have uh, effects on some people 
it it seems to be one of these things they want to have you pay for it, even though they're taking out an ingredient, you know? I mean, think about it logically. Organic, you know, anything organic is just letting it grow naturally. Yeah, but that seems to cost more for whatever reason. Exactly, and it costs double the price. Yeah, You you have organic meat, for example, is you just – all right, you need the land, the space, but you just leave the pigs, the chickens, the cows roam around and eat the grass. Because and the they grow, and it takes longer to grow, which means longer from growth to kitchen. So, <clears> I mean, that's what they're looking at, of course. And they are the reason big we... because they're not full of vitamins and, you know, water content and stuff. So the, the processing part of it. So, you know, the amount of usable meat that you get per animal is less. But... You know the, the the actual work that goes into it should be should be less. It's they talk about and it's fashionable as well. You know, and if you talk about uh, when you said there, Robert, about the some of the younger generation now are, are starting to grow vegetables to rear animals. I don't think that's because they've got to want to do that uh, for food. I think it's fashionable now to have a couple of chickens and look at me. I've got my own fresh eggs. Yeah, I think it's a it's a fashion thing could as be. opposed to could be uh you know cost too that they decide that they would you know for both you know they you know they want to raise uh, or they're... Huh? my brother had a couple of pigs and I've never seen somebody spend so much money on something. <laughs> well, maybe that okay. Well, there you go. Well, you know, and <clears throat> that's what a lot of people don't understand too, or some people don't understand is it's quite costly if you start doing some of these things the right way and doing them yourself. And that's the reason why farmers, let's quite you know, let's face it, farmers uh, have a difficult time because it's so expensive to actually produce these farms and to take care of them, and it's a lot of you know manpower and everything that goes into it as well uh, as equipment and everything. But uh, getting back to the cognitive learning aspect of this, I mean, you have to understand that your body is a machine. And when you start thinking about machine, you can't put low-grade fuel, low-grade oil or whatever the case may be or whatever the, the raw material is into that machine and expect it to function at its highest level. And the same thing is true for the body. You know, if you're wanting to improve your mind, which consumes most of the energy of your body, then you got to make sure that you're feeding it correctly and maintaining it right. You know, you're servicing it properly through your exercise and you're also feeding it correctly with the right types of foods that ensure longevity, that ensure well balance. You know, you get the right proper sleep and rest because downtime on any piece of equipment is just as important as the uptime. So are you maintaining it and giving it the proper amount of downtime? I hear a lot of people, you know, I know Mike uh, typically is on the podcast and talks about, you know, four to six hours worth of sleep. A lot of research goes into it's actually better to have more like eight to ten hours worth of sleep, you know, or at least six to eight hours of sleep at a minimum that six hours of sleep or less can actually have an adverse effect on your brain waves. So it's, it's just, there's all kinds of studies that are out there on all kinds, all kinds of different ways in order to improve cognitive learning. But the main thing I think that we hope to, to have you take away is that again, the, the brain is the most energy using component of your body. And you've got to make sure that you're maintaining your full body element so that your brain can have better learning capacity. Yeah, it's 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 like a computer chip in in um, the the what do you call it the CPU in a computer? You know, the central processing unit. It's the most energy absorbent part of that machinery, and and your brain's exactly the same thing. And it's 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 something I personally I think I neglect massively. 
and you know you look at all the other aspects of you know what you should do with regards to diet and exercise and things but sleep completely neglected you know and i i probably live off of four to six hours uh, generally in in the week and I, I might be lucky and catch eight one day on a weekend but i've conditioned my body almost now to to be used to that and my ability to function the next day doesn't get reduced now whether if i was living off of <laughs> whether i was living off of eight hours sleep every day eight to ten hours sleep every day my functional capacity could possibly be higher i don't know because i i haven't run at that level if you like but there's the problem i find is when i get really reduced my sleep and go over a longer period of time so four to six weeks i'll then become ill and my body won't be able to keep up then and i'll have about if you remember recently i either cough for about five weeks six weeks and it just dragged on and on and on and it came to the point where i just kind of I was just coming home from work at midday because I couldn't get through four hours in work and I was just completely zapped and I was coming home from work midday and I was going to bed and I was sleeping pretty much straight through till the next morning. And I did that for three days on the bounce and probably put in 14, 16 hours of sleep for three days consecutively and just completely recharge myself and then cycle starts again and, and go back through it. But because I, I feel because I've conditioned myself and I'm used to that level of sleep now. If I said to myself, I'm going to go to bed tonight at 8 p.m., I wouldn't be able to sleep. Yeah. And I wouldn't be able to sleep till 10, 30, You're going to have to reprogram the brain. You're right to do that. But you also got to think about for anybody listening to this podcast who has kids, the first thing we end up doing as parents when kids have an important test or uh, school starts or whatever the case may be, the bedtime ends up being a whole lot earlier and they end up getting less um, stimulus based on electronics or whatever because there's a major exam and you want them to remain focused and clear. Yet as adults, we don't practice practice that same types of rules or or those things because we think we can survive on much less. We we somehow condition ourselves and begin to think that less sleep, not eating healthy and not exercising can somehow help us in terms of longevity because we've been able to sustain it for whatever period we've already done it. And that should be no problem going forward with the same number of years or even beyond that. But we we all know talking about this right now that that's false. But yet we have somehow, you know, put ourselves in that false sense of security that, no, it's okay. That's for children. That's not for adults. It's different for adults. I think there's something in it with the older you get, the less sleep you need. I think there's definitely something in that, you know. Need need, or that you end up uh, getting uh, or that need. you end up conditioning. I think, you know? I think an adult needs between seven and nine hours. That's right. Right. And so you're failing, Scott. Yes. Massively, Massively. but but if if you go if you go back to a child, you know, a baby, and when they're born, is sleeping pretty much. It's like 20. eighteen hours, yeah, yeah eighteen to twenty you know, hours. And then as they get younger, I mean, I've I've got a, a five-year-old now, and she'll pretty much get twelve hours every night, you know. And then I've got a twelve-year-old who'll get eight to ten, depending on what 
timed like a school holidays now. She's not getting up till 11 o'clock in the morning, you know. But it's, for me, I think there's definitely something in the older you get, the less sleep you need. Um, well, and, then, and then I think it comes back uphill again, and you, and you get particularly old like Robert, and he's probably having twelve hours, fourteen hours uh, sleep at night. <laughs> That's right, with my three naps throughout the day. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's a comfort thing too. I think it's an adjustment, and, and it's a behavior change that we as adults know that we should do that, but we just don't take responsibility for. But I've noticed uh, if I don't get the proper amount, the right amount of hours of sleep it exasperates my depression like instantly. And I'm like, I haven't drank at all this year. Like I've quit alcohol because I'm so worried that I will fall down that slump. Like I know that from my PTSD symptoms, huge like depression mostly is completely involved in that. But I've not like for me personally, I know that I will not be able to function as a mother or as a as an individual, if I don't get that amount of sleep. So I'll always make sure like I have to do this just because I'm trying to be self self preservation. But, um, the military, we, it conditions us to be, have all weird sleep patterns, but a lot of guys and gals come out with all these sleep problems like insomnia and uh, sleep apnea to where, because we've had such sporadic schedules and like you say, you can function off of four to five hours. I bet you were doing that too while you were in the service and you, and, yeah. and it's not that you, it's not that you, like, I'm sure you feel like you were functioning well with that now, but it's like you had to function well, no matter what, regardless That's if you right. had the right amount of sleep. So, but you have um, to recondition your brain and, and change things right now. Um, you know, I mean, I look at some of the people that I know and you know them too, that may be a little bit older and stuff. And one of the things that they talk about is how even nap time, you know, a 15, 20 minute power nap throughout the day can make a world of difference. And they, they talk about drink plenty of water as another aspect, you know, to make sure you hydrate yourself all the time. And, eat right and matter of fact that there's an old saying that if you eat like your grandparents did you're more likely to live longer so i know you're just rolling your eyes here scott i don't know um, no 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 I'm, I'm agreeing with you oh, okay and you know the, the cat touched on something earlier about um the, the military and uh, i think you said something like wouldn't it be good if they thought about people training their brains as well as their bodies and that stuff has been going on for thousands of years. If you look back at samurai, you know, as a, as a group of warriors, they were scholars as well as warriors. And because their training had them doing those type of things, you'd physically train, um, you'd train in your craft, whether it be swordsmanship, archery, whatever it was. And then they'd read books, they'd to le uh, take lessons, and they'd become academic because it made you a smarter warrior and therefore more able to survive you know and you could outthink your opponent as well as out um with your opponent or faster or stronger or whatever it may be and we, we just don't seem to do that now and we're talking about when when you asked them was i surviving or functioning on a similar amount of sleep when i was in the military and, and yes i probably was but I also drank a lot more when I was in the military, and that's not a good thing. But you get up every morning with a sore head, and you go to work, and you crack on, and you know it was it was a bit of a laugh and a joke if somebody was being sick because they had a hangover, and right there just go and run around the block a couple of times, or get up and down the rope, or whatever it may be. 
And you, you, you're pushing your body to function at its least optimum state. And that's just not good for anything because when you come to a combat role then, you're not doing any of those things anyway. Sleep may be granted, but you're not drinking. You know, you're not even going to go into nutrition in, in a combat role if you're eating packs or MREs. And, yeah, well, exactly. You've you got know. rippets and everything in order to keep you awake and keep you going, and that's what they end up living off of, and that's part of the problems why when they come back, they don't, you know, they have to, you know, suck down energy drinks and everything else. They don't sleep right. They don't eat right and everything else. And, and it's, again, that reconditioning that needs to occur. Uh, but also, I think, too, when you were younger, we talked earlier in the show about resilience, you, you could bounce back a lot easier from making stupid mistakes. As you get older, we all know that your body doesn't forgive you quite as easily. You don't bounce back quite as quickly as you did. You you have an accident. You know, you break a bone or whatever. It takes longer to recover. Uh, you know, those types of things. So you've got to be smarter about your actions and what you're doing. And that's what we're describing is that that, uh, that age part that I'm talking about, by the way, is not that far beyond 30 years of age. So if you're listening to this and you're over the age of 30, well, that's the point where gravity starts taking over and starts affecting how quickly you heal and how quickly you can bounce back and recover and your resilience level and the whole bit if you're younger than 30 well you may have a few more years in order to be able to do that kind of stuff but it can also catch up with you at thir over 30 uh, where you're paying the price for it it's a part about when is it that you're going to realize is it when you have an accident or when you crash and burn or when you become sick all the time and you can't get out of it, when you have depression, or is it at the point of which you start getting, you know, your cognitive learning, your cognitive, cognitive capabilities now where you say, I want to improve upon my growth mindset. And the only way that I can do that is to take control of my lifestyle, to control my exercise now, not when I'm 50, 60, 70 years old, to sleep more now, to see if that makes a change and a difference in my lifestyle um, you know, to exercise, to eat, to do all those types of things. Diet, exercise, and other aspects of our daily interaction with environment have the potential to alter our brain health and mental function. So as we talked about during this show, you can use dietary components, and they've been found to be positive on cognition. But the problem is that caution is required as a balanced diet is still the stepping stone for any dietary supplementation. Go out and eat the right foods. Exercise to be you know healthy and stuff and maintain that consistency. Get enough rest. And um, by doing so uh, and, and eating the right way and everything, you'll reduce the weight. Uh, you'll, you'll feel better about the day. You're learning your learning capabilities or learning capacity will grow. You'll be able to retain more uh, throughout the day as well. You'll just be a better, well-rounded individual in that, that sense because, again, you're feeding the machine and do it in the right way. It's really important to look at your profession because as being in, like, law enforcement or paramedicine or in the military, we are always at a state of alert. It is really important to be able to tailor your diet and your exercise program as well as implementing possible like meditation to quiet those sensors down, to quiet those brain functions down because ultimately what you're doing and being in a high state of alert constantly, especially in a combat zone, you are overstimulating your brain. And then when it finally comes down, the mental health disorder manifests. No, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. A lot of people forget that we're constantly exercising and repairing our bodies, but we, we don't take the time for our minds and our brains. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio.